Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 313. In the days and weeks leading up to your cruise, you'll very likely want to make a few purchases to prepare for it, but have you ever thought of going to the dollar store for your pre-cruise purchases? There's a surprising amount of items dollar stores typically carry that can save you a lot of money, and we're sharing how on this week's episode. Here we go. I think it's a pretty common feeling after you book a cruise that you need to get ready for it. And by get ready, I mean buy everything you can find on packing lists around the internet. But in all seriousness, pre-cruise purchases probably will take you to Amazon or your local mall. But have you ever thought of getting what you need from the dollar store? Seriously. Today, we're going to be talking with about just that with arguably the smartest cruise planner I have ever not actually met in real life. She's the host of Cruise Tips TV and Cruise Gear on YouTube and a guru of all things packing. Alaska, makeup, studio set design, and probably solves crime in her spare time. It's Sherry. Welcome back to the podcast, Sherry. <laughs> oh my gosh, Matt. That is the best introduction ever. We do. We got to fix this whole never met things. So I'm trying to get myself on a Royal Caribbean cruise so we can bump into you and the family. Excellent. I like this idea. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So I got this idea for this week's episode by watching, of course, what I do usually, which is I'm browsing Sherry's uh, Cruise Tips TV uh, YouTube channel. And you had a video about uh, buying stuff for your cruise on the dollar store. So how did this idea of shopping for your cruise at the dollar store come about? Well, it was kind of, it's kind of embarrassing, really. It's truthfully that I had never been to a Dollar Tree. And so Dollar Tree is like this specific type of dollar store out here. And people kept telling us we were missing out. They're like, oh, no, you've got to get this and that and the other thing at the Dollar Tree. So we decided... Because we don't really have one in our backyard, we decided to kind of day trip it and make a video about it. So in the process, we discovered that you can save so much money if you go in with kind of an open mind and you don't necessarily have a set shopping list. Um, and we did just that. We ended up getting like eight items, but they were all really inexpensive and a total win. And now we're addicted yeah, I know that I was watching your video, and in the beginning of the video, you mentioned that a lot of your viewers were suggesting specific ideas and things of that nature. How skeptical were you in the beginning of this? I was really skeptical because I've heard that the stores are kind of inconsistent in the way that they stock things. Yes. So you'll have one dollar store that's really nice and tidy, and another one where everything is just, you know, they're not keeping up the stock. And we got pretty lucky with the one that we went to. Awesome. So let's talk about some of the ways that you can use the dollar store to pack for your cruise. Because, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but when we book a cruise, especially ones that are a little longer, maybe, you know, over five or six nights, it, it really becomes like I joke that if 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 the if they ever need to spur the economy, if we ever need a boost, the federal government, that is, you know, just give everybody a free cruise because everybody will go to there and just start shopping for things that they don't need. They, they're like, oh, no, all those clothes we have, we need new wardrobes and new shoes and, and, and it's just, that's always like our mantra, it seems. And the idea of going to the dollar store is primarily you can do that, and but but without breaking your budget. Absolutely, you can. And I'm like you. I'm completely addicted to the pre-cruise high that you get from shopping. To me, it's like just as fun as the cruise itself. So I'm right there with you. It, it's an addiction, <laughs> really. But yeah, you can save a lot of money. I think um, the key is, you know, maybe have a few things in mind that you want to get. But the more you can go in and just kind of take some time to explore, the more fun of a process it is. Absolutely. And it's also great for kids, I think, because my kids, you know, first of all, love spending my own money. And so it's a lot easier <laughs> if you, they can get, you know, three or four things. It only costs three or four dollars instead of going to, you know, a, a Walmart or a 
Target or any of those other bigger stores where that number can easily go up from there. Well, yeah. And if your kids are anything like mine, you buy them the toys and then they don't play with them. They end up playing with like a cardboard box instead. So I don't want to spend the money. But yeah, you can get little tiny things, little puzzles, little toys, just depending on their age group. It's awesome for kids. I know my wife has always used the dollar store as a great resource for uh, in or tra- transit travel uh, uh, presence, like going on an airplane, right? Stuff, stuff to keep them busy in the airport, on the airplane, on the long car ride, whatever the case may be. You know, find them those little, you know, cheapo things that are just like that. They're not going to hold their attention for the next 10 years. They're just going to keep them busy in the meantime. And it's great for when you're planning those, uh, again, those trips down to a cruise ship. Yeah, that's a really good idea, like stocking up their little backpack for a flight or whatever. Um, for my son, too, we when he was little, we used to do the same thing for his, his backpack that he would take to dinner. So instead of letting him play on a device or something, we would try to give him like a little pack of crayons or, you know, little surprises. And if you're buying them at a dollar store, you can buy five or six things and like keep pulling them out of the hat. You know, if the kid gets <laughs> bored, you got like, the, you know, the unlimited supply. Absolutely. And we're going to post a link to uh, Sherry's video uh, in our in our show notes for this week's episode if, so you can watch the exact episode we're talking about here. One of the things, my biggest takeaway was something you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, which is the shower cap shoe cover idea. Can you explain what that is? Oh, my goodness. That is my favorite as well. I had never heard of this. And um, at the dollar store, they sell like multi-packs of disposable shower caps. So they're really thin plastic shower caps with a nice little elastic band. And what you do is you buy a pack of them and then you can wrap your shoes in them so that when you place your shoes in the suitcase, you're not getting your clothes dirty. But yet it doesn't take up any extra space at all because it's just this sheer little piece of plastic. And then you can just recycle them or toss them away when you're done. It is, it's totally my favorite too, Matt. That was the absolute best tip that we got. Wow, that is a really good idea. That's like, I mean, because that's, I always just do the old put the shoes facing each other trick and hope that not so much, you know, schmutz gets on my clothes from from them jostling around in there. But this is way actually better at making sure that does not occur. Uh, And also for coming back from the cruise as well. Yeah, exactly. Like if you had a particularly sandy or, you know, dirty cruise, you can pop your flip-flops in there. You could even technically maybe wrap a wet swimsuit in one just to kind of keep it away from the rest of the clothes. I think there's lots and lots of uses for them. Yeah. One of our favorite things that we've always purchased, I'm not sure if we got them at dollar stores or we've gotten them at other places, but the pop-up hampers are a godsend for families, especially on longer sailings in which you can't just, I mean, traditionally we just shoved everything in a corner, but eventually that corner like becomes a monster. And then it's just like, don't look at it, kids. Don't make eye contact. Just throw it in there, shut the door in the closet and let's never speak of it until the end of the cruise and we have to <laughs> attack it. But the hamper is a really great idea. Yeah. And the nice thing about the dollar store type are that they're really tiny. So if you're a really light packer and you're concerned about taking up extra space, you don't have to worry. Now, I mean, as a trade-off, you're not going to get the best quality pop-up hampers at the dollar store, but you could maybe pack two if you know if you have a larger family or if you're not going to be doing laundry and you know you're going to stack up a lot, of, um, a lot of stuff, you could get a couple of them. And they're just really thin and nice. I agree with you. That's another one of our favorites too. Yeah, I think you hit upon something that's really important is that a lot of this stuff is, for lack of a better word, disposable, one-time use, probably not going to last you multiple cruises or certainly not more than two or three. I mean, you're paying a dollar for a lot of these things in many cases, but it is, uh, you know, it's it's cheap and it's cheap. So it's you got to look yeah. at, remember both things when you're planning for it. 
Exactly. It's so, so true. And in the case of like the disposable shower caps for shoes, so many of them come in the pack that you could probably use it for your next 10 cruises and not have to go back. So that's kind of cool, too. Absolutely. I was surprised also by how much name brand stuff there was back when I was a kid. The dollar store was like, you know, just it was it was like leftover, slightly expired food and things from St. Patrick's Day and like the like the the cheap Yugoslavian knockoff of the name brand stuff. It'd be like, oh, it's Tylenol with a Z at the end. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) That is so true. When you said that, I instantly like went back to my same impressions of a dollar store when I was a kid. And it was all just like canned goods that were a month away from expiring. And it was just Mm -hmm. some really awful type of soup. And now it's so different. And you mentioned the brand name thing. And it's actually really interesting that you said that because I was surprised they have brand named medication. Um, I had thought that you were only going to be able to get like generic pain reliever and things like that. So I had set out to not buy any medication there because I think it's a little bit, maybe a little bit not so safe to buy generic stuff at a dollar store. If it, you know, when it comes to things like that, that you're putting in your body, but they had Aleve and I can't remember the other brands, but they had a lot of different brand name stuff. And it's, it's definitely less expensive than grabbing it, you know, on the fly at the checkout at, say, a drugstore where they're really marking it up. Absolutely. What was your favorite thing that you found at the dollar store? What's something that really stands out for you as really practical? Okay, that's funny. My favorite thing um, didn't even make it to the end of the cruise. It was it was a little bit of a low quality item, but I was most excited about the little magnetic whiteboard I got. It's like a dry erase whiteboard, and mm-hmm. you could like put it on the wall and leave a note for your stateroom steward. But unfortunately, the the eraser didn't really erase the ink. So we just went back to using um, the jumbo sticky notes that we got. So I have to say that the jumbo sticky notes won the battle and pushed the magnetic dry erase board out of the fight for the top cool item because these sticky notes are like double size and they were just really nice for leaving little notes to say, hey, can we have some ice or a few extra towels and things like that? Small thing, but loved them. Yeah, and, and you can use those uh, sticky pads or the dry erase boards as well to put on your stateroom door as long as they're magnetic because these are also great for uh, communicating with other people in your group, right, to write you know where you're going, where you'll be, things of that nature. And I know that a lot of folks really like that. And again, to spend a dollar on it is you know a lot easier than maybe – I'm sure it's cheaper than buying it on Amazon or other uh, places even online. Oh, for sure, for sure. You could, And you could stock up on them if you wanted to. Yeah. Talk about also about stateroom decorations, because this was a surprise to me. I didn't even consider this as an idea of how you can decorate uh, on a on a really small budget. Yeah. So this is this is a good one. I love this because you can pretty much always count on getting birthday anniversary and holiday decorations at these dollar stores. So, you know, even though it's seasonal and maybe you can't get Christmas or like you said, St. Patrick's Day all the time, you can pretty much count on getting birthday and anniversary stuff. Now, if you think about it, like when you go onto your cruise personalizer and you order that stuff for your stateroom, I don't know how much it is with Royal Caribbean, but probably like if you got a birthday set up, is it like $35 maybe for? Oh, yeah. Yeah, at least it ain't cheap. So if you're, you know, if you're tactical about it and you grab some birthday decorations, you can just pop them in your suitcase and then surprise your loved one when they're taking a shower. I mean, it's a little (laughs) less, a little less fanfare, but for something that's going to get thrown away anyway, they have so much stuff. So, you know, usually you can count on birthday and anniversary. Otherwise you might have to kind of 
you know, see what you find when you get there. But it, it could be great for, you know, a holiday cruise. If you're going for Christmas or Hanukkah, you could probably do it up pretty, pretty well as well. Yeah, I think that's and we've been talking a little bit about this here and there, but it really is that almost that grab bag scenario when it comes to that dollar store in that what they're actually going to have and which ones. Because there are many different brands of dollar stores that are out there, and there's also some that aren't actually a dollar. There's like the five belows and the one dollar general I don't think is actually a dollar. Like some things are a dollar, but there could be more than a dollar. But, you know, it depends obviously which stores you have nearby. And quite frankly, if there's more than one near you, I bet you you're going to have different items in those stores. They're not like where they all stock the same thing. Yeah, that's true. They're all super, super different. And one thing we found that's nice, if you can, is to try to go midweek and not on the weekend. And it's a little bit tough for, for me because I work full time during the week. But if there's any way you can do that, you might find them to be just a little bit more well stocked and have kind of that chill experience of roaming through the store when it's less crowded. Good stuff. So the last question for you, Sherry, with everything you know now, in your opinion, how practical is it to do your cruise shopping at a dollar store? I'd say it's very practical, but probably isn't something that I'll rely on for all of my toiletry shopping. Um, you can get most of the things that you need for travel. So soap, shaving cream, razors, toothpaste, you know, hand sanitizing wipes, medications, things like that. You can probably count on it. But in terms of those things that you prefer a specific brand for, like shampoo and uh, cosmetics and things, I probably wouldn't take it that far. So it's just a compliment to your shopping. I think it's a great way of putting it. And I I agree that it's a great way to augment. I'd probably go with it. Like you're not going to probably do your clothes shopping there necessarily, but it's great for all those little things that you read about that you didn't really consider uh, gifts, all the kind of things we talked about here on this episode. So it's going to do a a lot of it and probably more than you expect to do for it. Um, And it's definitely worth a try, especially if it's not too far for you to, to have to go to the dollar store. Um, So I think it's a really great idea, Sherry. And I'm so glad you were able to come on here and talk to us about it because I think it's, it's fabulous. And of course, uh, if you want more great cruise tips and ideas and just good old entertainment, uh, check out uh, Sherry's YouTube channel. Again, it's uh, Cruise Tips TV. I'll have links on, on our show notes at royalcaribbeanblog.com and also uh, Cruise Gear. She has two different channels because she is doubly awesome. Uh, Sherry, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us here. Oh, thanks so much. And this was a really fun topic. I appreciate it. Alrighty, time to answer your Royal Caribbean questions. These are the questions that our listeners, that's you, have sent in to me to be answered right here on this podcast. And you can always do so by emailing it to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. And I got to say, our inbox is getting a little little full here. So I'm going to try my best to get to as many as I can. First email today is from Fat Cat Fields from Union City, Indiana. I heard you mention several times about booking as soon as possible and calling the rebook if the price drops. One thing I'm sure... I've missed in your explanation about rebooking cruise fare is what happens to your onboard credit. Prior to becoming completely immersed in your vast sharing of Royal Caribbean knowledge of all media outlets, obsessed is the word I believe my English son uses, I was indecisive about booking December 2019 Harmony Cruise. At the time I had begun listening to you, I was not yet aware of rebooking. When I, orig- when I originally looked at the sailing, they were offering, I believe, $200 onboard credit. By the time I decided to book that sailing in the same cabin category, a few weeks later, the onboard credit had dropped to $175. I don't honestly remember what the cruise fare difference was, but let's say I did book it and the fare had dropped. 
If I'd booked it when the onboard card was $200 and rebooked when the ferry dropped, my $200 onboard card also dropped to $175 or remain unchanged. Can't thank you enough for all the joy and excitement in your voice on all podcasts and live blogs. You certainly help make the days between cruises go by faster. Keep up the great work and I look forward to meeting you someday and thanking you in person. Fat Cat, love your name and uh, thank you for the very kind words. So the answer to your question is basically when you rebook a cruise, you basically are repricing at the current promotion. In almost, in most cases, onboard credit comes as part of a booking promotion, right? You book it during a particular sale and as part of that sale, you get, in your example, $200 onboard credit. But if you were to rebook at a time in which the cruise fare drops, you'd be subject to the new promotional materials. In a lot of cases, Fat Cat, you have to consider not only the cruise fare, but also other benefits like kids sale free or onboard credit, or other promotions that Royal Caribbean is giving at the time because you will lose them. So as an example, if you booked under Kids Sale Free and then the price drops 100 bucks next week, but Kids Sale Free is over, that may end up costing you more money. So you always have to weigh all options, not only just in cruise fare, but also those amenities you get. So it's a very good question. And yeah, it's, it's, it's all part of it. The only exception would be things like booking at next cruise, right? That onboard credit follows you, shouldn't be an issue there. And some other promotions, like maybe the shareholder credit, uh, things of that nature. But most of the time, I would say 90% of the times when you rebook, you're losing whatever promotion it was before. In a lot of cases, it's negligible or the you have to, when you add up the onboard credit plus the cruise fare and then compare it to the new fare plus onboard credit, you know, you can figure out which is the better deal. In a lot of cases, it's going to boil down to the old question, would you rather have like $100 on board credit or $100 off the cruise fare, right? Next, we have an email from Bart, who's going to Barcelona, Spain, arriving at 6.15 a.m. Is there any way I can check in very early? I was taking a bus to the city center and then trying to figure out how I can support uh, any pointers. You can check in early, but not 6.15 a.m. early, uh, at least in the United States. And I think in Europe, it's similar that the ports usually open up for check-in around, let's say, in the United States, it's 10 a.m., okay? In Europe, it may be different. Maybe uh, someone can comment on our show notes at realcoreanblog.com with what times they've seen. But you can check in early, not 6.15 a.m. early. So if you're, now I understand if you actually fly in at 6.15, you still gotta go through customs, pick up your luggage. You've got a solid hour there, right? But you'll still be there a little earlier. I would recommend going straight to somewhere to get breakfast, quite frankly, and take your time and then and then go over to the cruise port to check in. You can check in early. And again, when Royal Caribbean gives you that check-in time, this is a really good tip right now, whether this is North America or Europe, they're gonna give you a check-in time. That check-in time is optional or it's not enforced. So if they say, oh, congratulations, you can check in at one o'clock, you can still check in earlier than that or later than that. Uh, it, it's just, it's more of a suggestion than a requirement. Our next email is from Rich from Crestwood, Kentucky. Thanks for all the great information you provide. I was a recent victim of your YOLO booking influence and have two cruises booked at stop in Nassau. My question is, if you recall, when the 737 Flight Sim excursion was available in the cruise planner, I would really like to do that excursion if it's available. One cruise is 40 days out, you know, there's 130 or so. I don't see the excursion available to purchase on the cruise planner website. Love to hear any insight you can provide. Rich. At the time when I did it, it was available through Royal Caribbean. However, I've been speaking to the to the owners of the, uh, they're called Jetline Simulations in Nassau, and they have stopped offering it through Royal Caribbean. They weren't getting, I guess, the returns they were expecting, plus Royal takes a cut out of it, obviously. Anyway, not to worry, Rich, you can book it via their website. Just Google Jetline Simulations, and you will, or Nassau Bahamas, you know, Jetline Simulations in Nassau. You'll find their website. You can make a reservation easy peasy right on the website, and you're good to go. It's a lot of fun. If you're wondering what the heck we're talking about, in Nassau, Bahamas, about a 15 minute walk from the port, very easy to do so, there is a fabulous non-beach excursion there 
called uh, Jetline Simulations, in which you can fly a 737, Boeing 737 flight simulator, right? It's not the real thing, obviously, but it's really cool. It's not very expensive and it's different. I know a lot of times when we talk about excursions, especially in the Caribbean, we're talking about going to a beach somewhere. And depending on the weather, first of all, if it rains, there's no big deal because this is all indoors. So it's great for that. It's a great alternative to break up the monotony of it. Also, it's not a whole day thing. It's really only about an hour or two at the most, probably from door to door, quite frankly. So it's great for just working in a little bit and still having time to do other things as well. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, we have our next email. And it is from Samantha Silverstein, who had an amazing first Royal Caribbean cruise. Right, my husband and I just returned from our first ever Royal Caribbean cruise, and it was amazing. We have cruised with other cruise lines, like Norwegian and Celebrity. But after this cruise, we are Royal Caribbean loyalists. A huge thank you for all that you do. Your blog and podcast were super helpful and helped to make our cruise perfect. And Samantha wrote a really great uh, in-depth in review of her cruise. But I want to talk about the port she visited because she went on Anthem of the Seas, which is great. And unfortunately, Samantha, I don't have time to go through everything you wrote here. I would recommend what you do is copy and paste what you wrote to me and go post that on the Royal Caribbean blog message boards because there is really good stuff here. I just don't have time to go through it all. But I want to talk about the ports because that's probably one of the most common questions we get. So she went to four different ports. We're actually the same four ports I recently went to. So uh, you can get some good uh, compare and contrast here. Bermuda. We had been to Bermuda before. We knew we wanted to go to Horseshoe Beach. We hopped in one of the $7 mini bus taxis and were there in 10 minutes. We were at the two loungers and an umbrella for $53. Insane, but hey, we're on vacation plus it's Bermuda. We enjoyed a few hours there and then heading back to the ship. We're planning on doing a little shopping by the port, but boy, was it hot. So we just that, ditched that idea, went back to the ship for some lunch. Uh, I'm with... Uh, Samantha on this 100%. That's exactly what we did. Number two, St. Martin. We love St. Martin. Guess what? It was really hot there too. But as soon as we got off the ship, we headed right over to the little ta water taxi hut, purchased our $7 round trip tickets. We waited in their covered area for about five minutes and got on one of the boats. Once on the other side, we found one of the guys standing there all hawking their bars and restaurants and followed them down a way bit to the left, not to the right, and found ourselves at a lovely spot. Pro tip, we paid $7 each for the water taxi and $20 for two loungers and an umbrella once we got to the beach. Well, we were on the water taxi with all the people who had paid a lot more money for the Royal Caribbean excursion, and we did all the same exact things, but we paid a lot less for it, so just saying. San Juan, a bunch of people we had met on board told us we weren't getting off the ship at San Juan. We knew this wasn't uh, the best port for beaches, so our plan was gonna take the trolley to the forts and then walk our way back down. Well, when we got off the ship, it was sweltering. We ducked into the Walgreens at the end of the pier to get in some AC, a huge, beautiful Walgreens in case you need anything. When we came out outside again, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we decided to go back to the ship. We had a great day at the indoor pool all to ourselves, so we are happy with our decisions that day. So, so far, I just wanna jump in real quick. I had very similar experiences. St. Martin uh, was hot, you're right, and good good recommendation there. She's talking about, by the way, the beach in Phillipsburg. There's a large boardwalk area. You can see it from the ship uh, that she went to, it sounds like. San Juan, you're right. It can be very warm in the summertime. That was very similar to what I experienced. I would tell you, though, we've had wonderful times in San Juan, especially if you go during months of the year, which is not the middle of summer. It's much more manageable and not nearly as oppressive. All right, last port you visit, Labadee. She'd rented a beach lounger for two on Black Friday, again, a great deal. So we headed to that as soon as we got off the ship. Again, it was hot, shocking. <laughs> Haiti in June is hot, but there, are, there was a great breeze and the shade in the water, it was great. The loungers, however, don't get as great air circulation. If we come here again, I would skip the beach lounger for two and just try and snag a couple of the regular loungers in the shade. Those looked really nice and comfortable. Another great beach day. Another pro tip, water shoes. I had read the beach on the north side where the beach loungers were was pretty rocky. So a couple days before the cruise, 
I bought my husband and I some inexpensive water shoots from Amazon. I figured if we didn't use them, I would just return them. Well, it turned out to be the best vacation purchase I made. My husband was going around showing off a $10 water shoot, telling people how his smart wife thought of everything. Wow. I love this. Samantha, thank you so much for sharing this. And I'm so glad the water shoes helped. And more importantly, you had a great time on your sailing. Next, we have an email from Chris who writes, my wife and I took our first cruise this year and loved it. Your blog and podcast helped us a lot. We did the Caribbean, but it was a test run for the cruise we really want, which is Canada and New England. I've looked through the titles of your pot, past podcast and didn't see one dedicated to those destinations. If there isn't one, have you considered doing it? We'd love to hear your thoughts on best excursions, favorite ports, leaving out of Cape Liberty versus Boston versus Canada, etc. Chris, it's a great question. Thank you for sending it in. I haven't sailed there yet, so that's probably primarily why you haven't seen a whole lot of coverage there. I am planning on going there next year, actually October 2020, Brilliance of the Seas out of Boston. And we're doing that particular sailing. It's actually a Royal Caribbean blog group cruise. So Chris, if you're looking to get that in on the cruise you really want to do, come join us for it. Uh, more information at royalcaribbeanblog.com slash events. But of course, guys, if you have any good recommendations of what to do in uh, Canada and New England, I would love to hear about it in our uh, in either emailing it in or probably just posting it right in our show notes because that'll get to the people who need it a whole lot faster. Next, we have an email from Ian Thompson who writes, Hi Matt, we're a couple of Brits after many years of refusing to agree to my gorgeous wife Mandy's request to take a cruise due to an outdated prejudice that I've finally gotten over. As a birthday surprise for her, I booked a seven-night Western Mediterranean trip on Oasis of the Seas, embarking Barcelona in August. I'm avidly playing catch-up with your podcast. I apologize if you've covered this, but I have a couple of questions regarding onboard currency. I get the onboard currency is US dollars. Royal Caribbean is, after all, a US company that cruises predominantly on the U.S. side of the pond. However, is this still the case for European cruises or, or are euros equally acceptable? Equally, will we be able to withdraw euros from the onboard ATMs? I ask as any onshore purchases will of course be in euros, but I want to know if I will need to carry both currencies. Many thanks. And I just want to say as soon to be first time cruiser, I find your podcast to be packed with invaluable tips and tricks that I'm sure will help us make our trip all the more memorable. And hopefully the start of a new love affair with cruise vacations for us both. Keep up the good work. So great question. I'm so glad you're going on. You got over that little hump there blocking your book of cruise, but you're doing one now. So currency on board all Royal Caribbean ships, regardless of location, is in US dollars. And guest services will accept euros. That's the good news. The bad news is it's probably at a very poor exchange rate. Uh, the ATM on the ship, as I understand, is also in dollars. Uh, there might be, I've, I've, some people told me, I actually asked this question offline, and somebody said they might have seen one with euros once, but again, not positive on that. But at the very least, it really is dollars based. So you should probably plan on, I guess, having two currencies. Uh, if you really want to double down on, again, going from euros to currencies, to dollars rather, you should probably convert before the cruise as much as you can reasonably and then go from there because obviously the exchange rate you're going to get from Royal is not going to be ideal. So uh, keep that in mind. Our next email is from Joe Barnwell who writes, uh, Good day, Matt. Thank you for being the official, unofficial Royal Caribbean Public Relations Department. We all certainly know uh, do more of that than Royal Caribbean they do themselves. I had a few questions on dining packages. I'm looking to getting the three-day package and I'm wondering if these packages work for lunch as well as dinners. Also, when I buy the package in the planner and pick a restaurant for the first night, can I change that to a later to a later night once on the ship or am I forced to use it on the first night? Joe, good question. With the dining packages, uh, so in the case that we'll use the three night as the example, you have to use one of them on either night one or night two. So Joe, if they assign you night one, you want night two or vice versa. They assign you night two, you want it on night one. You can do that, but you're supposed to, according to the rules, use one of them on the first two nights. Now I say supposed to because I have heard of other people getting out of this requirement 
but it requires some footwork, obviously, on your end once you're on board the ship to do so. But you can obviously make those reservations once you're on board the ship. Now, in terms of lunch, theoretically, you probably could. I mean, it, again, this is more of a your mileage may vary situation. Technically, the answer is no. But I think that if you told them, hey, look, you showed up to, you know, Jamie's Italian or Chopsco for lunch, you're like, I've got a dining package. I'd rather eat here today for, for lunch than dinner. They'd probably take it. I would tell you it's a worse value for you because lunch is usually cheaper than lunch. And in the case of Chops, their menu is significantly less. There's less items on the menu than at dinner, but to each their own, Joe, right? And, you know, three night cruise, maybe you're on a short sailing, maybe that works for you. So it's probably worth, I would tell you it's it's worth asking, especially if that's something you definitely want to pursue. Uh, there's really nothing to lose, quite frankly. You should just be okay with the answer being no, because I think technically the answer is no. Next up, we have an email from Chantel. who says, we booked a cruise from, uh, oh God, it's the city in Rome, I can't pronounce, that's near Rome. We're gonna call it Rome, uh, to the Greek islands. The ship is supposed to leave at 5 p.m. At what time can we do embarkation? So Chantel, you should definitely be on the ship way before that. What five o'clock means is that's what time the ship is leaving, not what time you can still get on the ship. In fact, you're gonna have to be on significantly earlier than that. Typically, when we're talking about embarkation, you're talking about times between 11 a.m. and 2 or 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I would always advocate aiming to arrive earlier than later. Of course, travel delays, you know, you never want to risk that. And also, the earlier you get on board, the earlier you start your cruise. So when the ship leaves at 5, that means that's when it's leaving. Like, bon voyage, bye everybody, see you next week. You know, that kind of situation. Uh, so you definitely want to get on there earlier than later. Uh, next up, we have an email from Ryan where it's, thanks for all the hard work you do on the website and podcast. I've learned a ton. My fiance, then wife and I, are sailing on Harmony of the Seas in October for our honeymoon in Cocoa Key. We were just planning on relaxing at Chill Island. My question is what we should do for lunch. Should we get lunch before getting off the ship or have it on the island? I would definitely recommend having it on the island. Back in the day, Ryan, I would have told you, you should definitely eat it on the ship. But Cocoa Key's food game is amazing. They have really added some fantastic venues. So the 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 coup de gras, the the place that everybody will go to is uh, Chill Grill is a massive complex. It's kind of like the island's version of the Windjamere, right? The buffet stations all around, tons of great choices, widest variety. But Ryan, my friend, because I like you, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret here. The best food item at Perfect Day at Coco Key is the crispy chicken sandwich at uh, at Snack Shack. So there's a couple Snack Shack locations around the island. I'm sure there's one near you. In fact, I do recall there being one in your general vicinity from my visits there. And you definitely want to go there. Now make sure there are two chicken sandwiches on the menu. You want the one with the brioche bun. That's the easiest way to figure out which one is which. Get the one with the brioche bun. It, it it's, it's, it's amazing. I have dreams about it. If I could have one right now, Ryan, I'd be eating it. I'm talking like this and eating eating while answering your questions because I would not have the energy to go and hit pause. It would take away from enjoying the sandwich. It's that good. Next, we have an email from Serenity. He writes, I absolutely love listening to your podcast. I listen to it while cleaning or cooking, and I learned so much valuable information about Royal Caribbean. In February of 2020, I'm going on a seven-night cruise on Allure of the Seas to help babysit as a nanny. A friend and I are looking after five children and they range from one to six years old. Their parents don't want them going to Adventure Ocean and don't want to pay for the nursery. I was wondering if you know of any great things to do with young children on Allure and at Coco Key. Any information tips you would have would be appreciated. I am so excited for my cruise. Looking forward to listening to your podcast as I wait for it to come. Serenity, that's what a, what a neat idea. Uh, I think it's wonderful. I've actually toyed with that idea when my kids were younger of 
bring somebody on as a nanny. I don't think it, it's really cost effective for two kids. Plus my kids love Adventure Ocean, but I digress. So what to do with the kids on board? Good news is outside of Adventure Ocean, there are still activities going on. Uh, so Randy, what I would recommend you do is look at a past cruise compass. You said you're going on a lure of the sea. So look at, go to royalcaribbeanblog.com in our main menu. There is a link for cruise compasses. Click on that, find a past cruise compass for alert. You'll find a lot to, to see there uh, and do, quite frankly, throughout the day. Some activities are what I would consider to be family activities, like enjoyable by all ages, and others are uh, open to, uh, are primarily aimed at, at kids, right? And a lot of them are really aimed at adults. But there are activities for you to do. There are signature activities for things that you can do on alert of the season. Like there's a mini golf, right? The kids can do it. They don't. They're not going to keep score. They don't. They just want to hit the ball around and you know have a challenge with that. That's a really great idea. Uh, in 2020, although I think you're going to miss. I think you're coming on before the major refurbishment. Allure is going to go through. They're going to add water slides. But one to six years old. Uh, what I would really recommend is time by the pool. I mean, it's obviously I forget how many. Oh, five children. Yeah, I mean, a friend in yours, I mean, as long as you're comfortable with that, I mean, obviously watching five kids, keeping an eye on them in the pool is a little more, there's a little more risk involved, and by a little, I mean a lot, but that's a really popular activity. Again, you're going to have, the great thing about Alert is there is no shortage of activities and things to do on board the ship, so look for those kind of areas. Uh, usually, for the younger kids, you mentioned the one-year-old, and again, I don't know where the age is, and you mentioned one to six, so there could be a lot of other younger kids. There is usually uh, an open play area in Adventure Ocean. It's not actually like supervised, like it's on your own, but it's in the same area as Adventure Ocean. And they have lots of toys there that you can just simply walk in, use. There's chairs for you as the adult to sit in and kind of watch them. It's gated, it's great. So I know that the, the parents all want them going to Adventure Ocean, but I hope that they just mean like the, the supervised programming as opposed to you supervising them in this little play area. It's right in the middle of it. It shouldn't be too hard for you to find. So that's a great choice. Coco Key, you're going to go to two places on this island with the kids. You're going to go to Captain Jill's Galleon and you're going to go to uh, Splash Away Bay. Both of these are complimentary, no additional cost. They're right next to each other and they're immediately when you when you enter the island, as soon as you walk off that pier, you're literally going to run into Captain Jill's Galleon and right behind that is Splashway Bay. It's Captain Jill's Galleon is basically a giant pirate ship with all these water slides and, and splash areas. And the Splashway Bay is even larger with a ton of places for the kids. They will run themselves uh, stupid over there, just <laughs> burning off energy. So that's definitely where you want to go. Next, we have an email from Amy Colon of Morganville, New Jersey. My husband and I have three sons aged 26, 23, and 21. My husband and I and oldest son went to a Mariner of the Seas last March and had a blast. Love with escape room, ice skating, and all the activities. Now that I'm impressed with Nassau, your podcast was so helpful in planning our first cruise adventure. I'm planning a future cruise for the five of us in early June 2020 after the youngest one graduates college. Time frame is not as flexible, but we want to go soon after graduation. It's basically down to a decision between Navigator or Independence of the Seas, excluding Mariner because we did it already, versus Enchantment or the Grandeur of the Seas. Would be nice to go to a different destination like Grandeur or Enchantment, but these are not Royal Amplified ships. I was afraid we'd be disappointed, especially after enjoying the Mariner activities so much. What are your thoughts? Amy, thanks for the email. I would tell you, based on your email, and again, I don't know you or your, your, your sons at all, but if the activities on board, if the scope of things available to you were of interest, Navigator Independence would definitely be a choice. Enchantment and Grandeur are smaller ships. They're both vision class ships, and they don't have quite the level of activities to do on board. Now, you may here's the counter argument to that, Amy, which is that your sons are all of drinking age, and they would probably sooner just enjoy hanging by the pool, enjoying maybe a drink package with you uh, and your husband, and you know, kind of just relaxing and chilling. You don't need to have like constant 
entertainment, like if they if your sons were a lot younger, right? So you can certainly, and Enchantment and Grandeur offer that classic cruise experience, and, and they can do that. There are some activities, there's a rock climbing wall as an example on both ships, and you'll find other activities to do on board, but it's not quite to the same extent. Certainly not of Navigator or Independence. I mean, Navigator has water slides, right? And Independence has some uh, has the sky pad, and you know, there's, a, there's some signature activities that really stand out there. So again, it, it really depends on what they're looking to do. But it, it sounds like, again, based on your email, that you're looking for a certain level of uh, onboard activity, things to do on board, that's important to you, then I would recommend Navigator or Independence purely for that reason. So hopefully that makes some sense over there. Next up is an email from Chandler from Louisville, Kentucky. Matt, my wife and I cruised for the first time last May as part of her parents' 50th wedding anniversary. We had a great time on Liberty of the Seas. I've been listening to the podcast ever since. I'm trying to keep up with all the tips, tricks, and suggestions so our next cruise is even more enjoyable. Uh, on the show, you often talk about the class of the ships. I can't remember what class Liberty of the Seas is, so I can't put it in context to compare my ship size to the one you're talking about on the show. Maybe you can start with the smallest class, tell us what they have in amenities, cabins, typical destinations, and then name the ships with that class and then move to the next class. Of course, I could have Googled this, go to Rokum's website, or even ask my MEI travel agent, shameless plug, but it's more fun and memorable to hear from somebody else. You have a, new, a unique way to explain it. I think a lot of crews would benefit from this information. Um, Chandler's a really good idea, you know, I, and, and you know what, there, there is a lot to it. You know, what's interesting is, first of all, uh, I thank, thank you for the suggestion. I think it's a really good topic that we should probably cover. We have covered it to some extent, I think in some probably ancient podcast episodes at this point. But what I would tell you is in 2019, ship classes mean a lot less than they used to. Prior to 20, oh man, prior to 2010, ship classes meant a whole lot more because the ships in each class, by the way, ship classes are, are categorizations, groupings of ships that are similar in size and amenities. Uh, there's a lot like cars in which you have, you know, sedans versus pickup trucks versus um, SUVs versus motorcycles, right? I mean, you, as soon as I mention one of those categories, you know instantly, oh, a sedan has two or four doors. It, you know, it can accommodate X amount of people. A pickup truck has a bed in it. It can, it's good for hauling, but it lacks, you know, it doesn't lack, it lacks a lot of seating area for passengers. You know, you kind of get that, right? Ship classes used to mean a whole lot more because they were so similar. But in recent years, Royal Caribbean has not only been upgrading their ships, but differentiating them. Like, you know, they're not always the same anymore with each upgrade and it kind of blurs the lines a lot. I mean, the ship classes still apply. It's, they are, I mean, Liberty of the Seas, by the way, which is a freedom class ship, is still a freedom class ship. It will never get larger or smaller, you know, and it's always going to have a real promenade as opposed to Brilliance of the Seas, which has a, has a centrum and no promenade, right? I mean, there's some fundamental differences of them and that's probably to Chandler's point here, uh, but it used to be a whole lot easier or a lot simpler, I should say, to explain the classes of ships, but now there's so many like one-offs and like, well, this one did that and this one has that, but not this. And this one still hasn't gotten its upgrade. You know what I mean? There's a lot of that, but I think it's a really good idea, Chandler, and probably should revisit it. The other issues I think in, in a perfect world, I'd wait for the Royal Amplifications to be done because what's today, what we know about them is gonna be different the next couple of years because the Royal Amplified program, which is upgrading a bunch of these ships is going on through 2021. So there's still a couple more ships to go. And then even then, I'm sure after that point, they'll probably announce something else. So <laughs> who knows? Next, we have an email from Gary who writes, I noticed during your interview for Perfect Day, you interviewed, the lady you interviewed says Coco Key. And you said Key in the intro and then K for the rest of the episode. And then Mariner episode, you said Key. I always thought Royal Caribbean used K, but have now they officially switched the correct 
pronunciation. Yes, Gary. Um, so when I was on Navigator of the Seas and they opened up Perfect Day Coco Key, Royal Caribbean said, uh, we, my, my, let me put this in context. We were there for, uh, this was a media cruise. So Royal Caribbean invited me and a number of other members of the media to join us on that sailing to cover the opening of Perfect Day. And Mark Tamas, who's the uh, senior vice president for hotel operations at Royal Caribbean, said to everybody, hey, by the way, we're, it's actually pronounced Coco. I think someone asked this question, but it's pronounced Coco Key because that's how the Bohemians pronounce it. And out of respect for our Bohemian partners, their Bohemian partners, I should say, the, uh, they're going to pronounce it Coco Key. And so I call it Coco Key now. It is a little weird, especially because I've called it Coco K forever. And occasionally I drop out and, and say it Coco K, but it is Coco Key. And until I'm told otherwise, I go with it. So uh, for all of you who are yelling at your radio right now and be like, how dare you call it Key? It's K. It's always been K. First of all, you're probably right because both pronunciations are acceptable. We all know what you're talking about. It's not like you're pronouncing it completely incorrectly, um, but uh, I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. Next, we have an email from David Seidel of Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for answering my multiple questions on episode 299 as we prepared for our first Royal Caribbean cruise on a Harmony of the Seas. The information you provided was spot on and invaluable. We sailed on uh, Harmony back in May, our first uh, on Royal Caribbean after many cruises on Disney. My question for today is related to something you mentioned on this week's episode, which was 308. We had two staterooms, an ocean view and a Central Park balcony across the hall from each other. We love the contrast of the two rooms. On this episode, you mentioned some extra benefits of the Central Park and Boardwalk balcony rooms, bottle wine, regular drink packaging, etc. We were never notified nor offered these with our Central Park room. Were we supposed to request them? Is this an on-again, off-again promotion or did we just miss out? I love the ship and hope to cruise with Royal Caribbean again, but want to make sure to take advantage of these if we book a Central Park or Boardwalk room. Overall, Cruise was fantastic. Thanks again for all the valuable info you provided to the community. David, it is always offered and it should have been provided to you automatically. There's nothing you should request. In fact, when you get in the room, Central Park, you should have had a bottle of wine. You should have had a letter in your room probably indicating you, hey, by the way, you have a free meal coming to you at uh, your, you're on Harmony, uh, Jamie's Italian, and I forget the other thing there. Um, unfortunately, and this is something that I, I always point out, something, a, a fault of Royal Caribbean that I would, they really need to fix is the inconsistencies across the fleet. And I, I don't know where the fault lies, whether it was with your stay room attendant, whether it was with whoever, I don't think, somebody put that stuff in the room, right? Um, somebody dropped the ball there. That's the bottom line. Unfortunately, it falls on you as the guest to make sure of it. Now, I know about these perks, and now you know about them, David. So, obviously, your next sailing, you'll be able to be like, hey, by the way, don't we get X, Y, and Z? And the answer is going to be yes, by the way. Don't take no as an answer. Um, but occasionally, I would say about 25% of the time, it, it, it falls on me to remind. I always go to the state room attendants, the easiest person to, to get a hold of. But these things do exist, right? Uh, like I said, about 25% of the time this occurs. Most of the time, it is automatic and, and they're waiting for you and they're and they're in place and, and they're ready to go. And you, usually there is a letter of some kind that explains, hey, by the way, you know, you're getting this because of this and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, in your situation, David, what you should have done, and again, I apologize for not mentioning this in that other episode, is that you should have mentioned, you should have said something like, by the way, we're entitled to X, Y, and Z. The issue is the, the neighborhood perks are not listed like on your reservation. It's just a perk that's been there, David, since pretty much the beginning of the Oasis class ships. I don't know when they exactly put it in, but certainly for the entire duration of this podcast that's been around, it has been an option there. Next, we have an email from Christopher P, AKA CP ATVing 
from Texas. Thanks for all the information you provide on the podcast, YouTube, and other social media outlets. My family and I are cruising on Liberty Disease out of Galveston this fall with stop at Cozumel, Grand Cayman, and Jamaica. We've done the trek many times, and I fully admit that I am one of those cruisers, you know the type, that loves cruising but are fearful of security in foreign ports. To me, the cruise is all about the ship. Sidebar, that's why I can't wait for the Oasis class to come to Galveston. Anyway, my wife does not share in my fears. She really wants to take our 10 and 6-year-old to the beaches in Cozumel, and I've heard you talk about Nachi Coco many times. My questions are, number one, is it a safe area as it shows on Google Maps to be several miles from the pier? Number two, I see you have taken a local taxi, which I never do because I usually leave the port area. My picture my wife rolling her eyes here. How do I ensure I get a reputable taxi service? This causes me great concern as I don't want to be driven off to never be heard from again. <laughs> Christopher, Christopher, Christopher. I'm so glad you emailed me, dude. And Cozumel is actually a very safe port to go to. I have gone to Cozumel dozens and dozens of times. I am still here to tell the tale. And I will tell you that it's very easy. So, how safe is it? To, it's a very safe area. Nachicocum is among many beach resorts in that area. The majority of the best beach resorts in Cozumel are on the south side. If you look, Cozumel's an island. The downtown is on the north central side of the island. Okay. The beaches are on the southwest side of the island. So, the, sorry, downtown is on the west side central and north, northwest central. Uh, west side of the island and then the beaches on the southwest side of the island it's probably not she's probably about a 10 or 15 minute taxi ride so uh it, but it is safe now i don't you shouldn't be walking there because it's just literally a road in the middle of nowhere so don't do that but taxis are fine and the taxis in cozumel are all mandated and run by a central organization they all look the same they're all this white taxi with a red stripe across it they're all run by the same company the fares are posted it's crystal clear uh what the fares are they it's there are no other companies if there are any i would not recommend those i've never i haven't even seen them so don't even worry about that christopher uh, and they're they're excellent i would tell you there are some that are some cars are in better condition than others this is mexico after all so the only question i ever ask them is i make sure air conditioning that's why i say i don't know the word in spanish but air conditioning is probably the biggest thing just make sure like don't be afraid to ask for it to be turned on a lot of them want to save gas so they don't turn it on automatically but if you want it on ask for it they'll be more than happy to do so well Sometimes they kind of like maybe grunt, but they'll do it and uh, you're good to go. And some drivers are have excellent English and some have not so excellent English, but they all know where you want to go. Not you, You'll tell them, you know, Nachi Coco, si senor, no, you know, no, no problemo. And then when obviously coming back, uh, you know, Royal Caribbean, they know exactly what it is. It's, it's no issues whatsoever. And I'm telling you, Christopher, I have taken taxis all around Cozumel dozens of times, never an issue. It's a very well-run taxi organization, quite frankly. Uh, and as somebody who primarily loves using ride-sharing services here in the U.S., and I have a very low opinion of taxis in the United States, I do think a lot of the taxi services in Cozumel, I think it's very fair pricing, and I think that they do a good job with it. And they're, they're, they're ample amount. You go, to, you go to Nachi, you will see probably a half dozen taxis waiting outside any given time you'll never have an issue with it christopher so my recommendation is indulge your wife go to nachi coco you're gonna love it it's a great spot make sure with nachi though you pre-book it before the cruise because it does sell out quite quickly 
right, we've got time for another email or two. I'm gonna try to drive down this email inbox here today. And so our next email is from Katie who writes, I just wanted to thank you for the crown and anchor tip you shared on your Facebook Live back in June. You mentioned that you were able to add previous sailings even from 20 years ago to your crown and anchor account. I called to add a seven night sailing on Navigator that sees from 2005. I was 14 years old on 14 years old on the sailing and was pleasantly surprised when the representative told me he would add 15 points to my status, 14 for saying it grants me and one point for loyalty. Needless to say, we're now platinum. Counting down to our next sailing on Symphony in February, 2020. Thanks so much for this great information. Katie, it's a great tip. I'm so glad it helped you. And remember guys, Unlike the airlines where like after like a year or so or whatever the time period is, you lose out on points. With the cruise ships, if you went on a cruise as a kid 20 years ago or you went on your honeymoon 20 years ago, you went on a cruise at any point in your life, it still counts. No matter what ship it was, even if the ship isn't in the fleet anymore, it still counts. All you have to do is call Royal Caribbean up, ask them to apply. All they're going to need to know, at the very least, obviously, is your name, your name on the reservation and the uh, ship you went on. And if you have the sail date, that's, you know, at least a ballpark. It really does help them quite a bit. Next, we have an email from Robert Jaworski, writes, uh, I mean, Robert's from uh, Sydney, Australia. My wife and I are considering flying next year to the Caribbean, being from Australia, we want to make it worth these short flights. We're thinking of doing a back-to-back, seven-day Eastern and Western Caribbean cruise. We're attracted by the hype of Symphony of the Seas, but you always talk about so fondly about Harmony. I realize they're essentially the same ship, yet offer different entertainment and dining options. We like to spend a few days prior to the ship, or prior to the cruise, rather, to explore the town. So for tourists, which departure ports offer more to see, Miami or Port Canaveral? I uh, would appreciate your thoughts on which ship and which offers the better Caribbean itineraries and where to embark from. As always, we thank you for your awesome blogs and podcasts to keep us well-informed and entertained. Uh, Robert, thanks for the email. So, the port, by far, Miami is a much more compelling port than Port Canaveral. Miami is a major U.S. city. Uh, it's very easy to get to, the, the port, that is. And there is a ton of more culture, food, options, entertainment. I mean, everything's bigger in Miami. Port Canaveral is a little beach town in, in central Florida that... You know, it, it, it's fine, but you're really just going there just to hang by the beach. So when you're looking for, like, you know, explore the town and do things, Miami is a night and day difference. South Florida, in general, offers so much. Uh, you'll find an overwhelming amount of things to do. Whereas in Port Canaveral, you're really talking about, you know, the Kennedy Space Center, where, where NASA is based, or the, they launch stuff. They're based probably somewhere else, but you know what I mean. Um, you've got the beach. And you've got Disney World and Universal Studios over in Orlando, which is about 45 minutes away. But that's pretty much it. It's not a whole lot more. So if that's and that's where Harmony goes out of uh, is out of Port Canaveral. The Symphony goes out of Miami, and they're basically the same exact ship and, and the same exact uh, embarkation itinerary is exactly the same. I mean, you go to the same places, no difference there. Uh, I do like Har. I prefer Harmony over Symphony. But guys, when I tell you that, it's not a knock on Symphony. That's just Matt's personal preferences. Like, in the same way that if I order a burger, I like having a raw onion on my burger along with lettuce and tomato. But you might say, well, I prefer just, you know, lettuce and tomato or no, no vegetables or bacon on your burger, right? It, it's kind of like, we're, we're both eating a burger, it's just different ways. It, that's kind of, I don't know if this analogy makes any sense. Perhaps this podcast has gone on too long. <laughs> but, uh, but what I'm trying to tell you is, it's more of a personal preference thing. I like the entertainment better on Harmony. Like I like the show specifically. Just personal preference. They're not bad shows in Symphony. I just prefer the ones on Harmony. So that and some dining issues and some other things. You know, and Symphony has a better uh, solarium area, in my opinion, as well as um, I like some elements of the boardwalk on Symphony, but I still prefer the boardwalk on Harmony. Again, to each their own kind of thing, right? All right, one more email. Now that I've, I don't know if anyone got my onion 
thing there, but we're going to try to pull it back in here with our email from Kelly T, who writes, Hey there, Matt. Still enjoying your podcast and YouTube videos now on Monday nights. Do you have any idea when Royal Caribbean is going to go fleet-wide with their new app so that our large group that is cruising in January and grandeur the seas can keep in touch with each other without all of us having to purchase the internet package? I know right now it's only on a couple of ships. Our group is not staying all together on the same floor. Some of us are on deck eight, some on four, and we want to be able to meet up for dinner, getting off the ship, etc. Also, going to Perfect Day Coco Key, where are the free areas again? It's hard to keep track of since there's been so much talk about the different areas, mainly just looking for a beach, swim, areas to relax. Thanks again for the wonderful, helpful tips and knowledge. Let's start with your questions. Great questions, by the way. And Kelly, good to hear from you again. So, uh, when is Royal Caribbean going fleet-wide with their new app? Nobody knows. I mean, nobody outside of Royal Caribbean knows. They have not posted any schedule. Uh, when it, It's going to be one of those things, Kelly, where it's just, I think one day there's going to be a switch flip, but... I don't know when that day will be. And to answer your question, I don't know if on when you go on your cruise in January on Grandeur of the Seas, if it will be ready for you then. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, you know, we talked earlier in this episode about a tip that Sherry uh, mentioned about the post-it notes. That's not a bad idea, actually, with using that. There are other low-tech ways of communicating. I mean, I would also point out, by the way, if you set up your phone correctly, you know, you, you roam with your cell phone, but you disable data roaming and obviously don't take any phone calls or place any phone calls. Texting while roaming is very cheap. It depends on your carrier, but usually incoming messages are free and outgoing messages are like, you know, somewhere between five and 50 cents a message. So unless you're texting like a bazillion messages, you should be able to maintain a much smaller budget than buying internet for everybody. But again, the risk is with, you gotta make sure you set up your phone correctly that you you're connecting and you're roaming, but again, you disable data roaming, so that way your apps can't use the data, and that really drives up the bill when when you're roaming, phone calls, etc. There's a little more risk involved and technical know-how. So, um, some options there. In terms of free areas, a perfect day. Perfect day, Kokoki is generally all complementary. Most of the areas. Let me backtrack that. Is generally complementary around most areas. Like the only areas that. You have, obviously, the water park. That costs extra. When you go in January, uh, the Cocoa Beach Club should be open. That costs extra. So the Cocoa Beach Club's on the north side of the island. The water park's on the east side of the island. But you have Chill Island. You have South Beach. You have Oasis Lagoon. And you have Harbor Beach. All those areas, complimentary to go to. First come, first serve. Grab a chair. You're good to go. Um, it really depends on... You mentioned you wanted just a beach. If you want the beach... Chill Island is the way to go. I think their beach area is superior uh, to South Beach. Harbor Beach is interesting. It's a it's an alcove where the tenders used to come to Coco Key. Coco Key, see, look, I'm still doing it backwards. And um, uh, now they turned it into a beach. It's still nice. It's great probably if you don't want waves at all. Not that there's huge waves at Coco Key anyway, but uh, anyway, it's just another option. But I would probably, Chill Island would be the, probably the best beach experience. There's no music there. So if you're looking for like really chill, that's the place to go, hence the name. So hopefully that answers your question there. Kelly, thank you to everybody for checking out this episode, this long episode of the podcast where I did a, I mean, I dented the inbox a little bit, but I think a lot of you are going to be doing, sending me an email right after this episode and we'll jam it right back up with the email. So that's all right. We, I love answering the question. So if you want to send me your email about your upcoming Royal Caribbean cruise, or maybe something you read on the blog, or heck, maybe something I talked about right on this episode, you can do so by sending it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com, Matt, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.